Our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Andy Stanley once said, Greed is not a financial issue. It's a heart issue. Good evening, I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And I'm Jonathan, and that different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, always done in a politically free zone. Folks, thanks for joining us today. This is a call-in format. We are caller-friendly. So, Jonathan, let's get started. How are you? What's happening? What's going on? And what are we talking about? My wife asks me that all the time. Rick, what are you talking about? (laughs) Well, Rick, our question for today's podcast is, is Christianity a greedy religion? And our theme text is found in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Then he said to them, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For even when one has an abundance, does his life consist of his possessions. Okay, so is Christianity a greedy religion? Let's start with this. Jesus loves you. This is a true, simple, and potentially life-changing statement. Once we accept what that three-word sentence actually means— it can become a steering mechanism for every day of our lives, pointing us to righteousness, to godliness, and to self-sacrifice. Jesus loves you. Pointed and refreshing. But, but what does it really mean? Does Jesus' love for us guide us in our everyday experiences? Yes, does his love for us mean that, that he wants the best for us? Of course. Okay. So if he wants the best for us, does that refer to comfort and abundance in our lives? Does Jesus' love for us bring us to better living conditions, more financial stability, a much better present, and a much brighter future? The answer to these questions will vary wildly depending on whose brand of Christianity you look at. And this will just confuse the matter, and I mean confuse the matter. So, Jonathan, instead of asking all of these different denominations and the different perspectives of Christianity, what do you think about this? Why don't we just look at the words of Jesus, the words of the apostles, and see what they said about Christianity and abundance? I love that idea. So do I. That's why we do this podcast together. (laughs) (laughs) Because we are driven by the words of Jesus. I mean, really, that's what it really, truly, truly does boil down to. So our premise is really, really simple, Jonathan. What is it? Well, Jesus wants us to live abundantly. Okay. So that's a great premise. Jesus wants us to live abundantly. But what's the big question about living abundantly? So what is... Christian abundance. You have to know what Christian abundance is to know how to live abundantly in Christ. Makes sense. 
And let me give you a clue right here, right now. Christian abundance is not what a lot of us think it is. It is very different, and it is very well defined in Scripture. So, we want to find that definition, we want to cling to that definition, and we want to walk away from this podcast today saying, okay, I want to live an abundant life in Christ, and now I know what that means. That's where we're heading here. That's our goal. All right, so let's get started by looking at a perspective that we are not necessarily very much or at all uh, in favor of. (laughs) Okay, we're going to go to, um, this was a a YouTube video, Mega Church False Pastors Living Like Rock Stars. It was done by iSquad, an internet news type of an agency. But let's listen to this introduction that they have about this piece that they're doing. Here's Lisa Guerrero and the iSquad with a look at some who've been preaching prosperity who are living large. Fresh wind! Fresh! They are some of the most popular TV preachers in the country. We're family here! They urge the faithful followers to donate generously, and in return, the Lord will bring them prosperity. I'm not going to be going to heaven and be broke when I get there. And there's no denying some people have prospered handsomely. Wow! The pastors themselves. They live like rock stars with huge mansions, private jets, and fancy cars. Their lifestyles are so lavish, six of them have been investigated by the U.S. Senate. Wow. That's, uh, That's saying something. And Jonathan, the mega church was because I'm not really, I'm not really used to what a mega church is. Okay, so yeah, why don't you define that? You froze up there for a second, so go ahead. Well, a mega church is an American term for a Protestant Christian church with an unusually large congregation having two thousand or more people on average, on a weekend attendance. Okay, and there's a lot of variations on what a megachurch is. We're not going to be talking about specific megachurches. That's not our objective here. But we are going to be talking about the principles behind some or many of these megachurches and the principles of Christ. And we're going to be looking at those principles together to see exactly what, what's what and how it all works together. So let's start with a, point, a pointed experience that Jesus had with a man and an inheritance question. Now, the following account is right after Jesus is explaining the sacredness of the Holy Spirit, and a few verses after he said that the very hairs of your head are numbered. So one of the people in the crowd, Jesus is teaching a mixed audience as usual, and here's what he says. This is from Luke 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Okay, so he says, teacher, look, tell my brother to divide things up with me. You know, it's hard to say what's what with that. Jonathan, let's just go quick to a a Bible commentator, Clark, on this particular verse. Among the Jews, the children had the inheritance of their fathers divided among them. The eldest had a double portion, but all the rest had equal parts. It is likely the person complained of in the text was the elder brother and he wished to keep the whole to himself, a case which is far from being uncommon. The spirit of covetousness cancels all bonds and obligations, makes wrong right, and cares nothing for father or brother. 
Okay, so there is, he talks about the spirit of covetousness, but most importantly, I think, in that comment is, uh, the, the, the commentator is talking about the older brother, uh, the oldest brother would normally get a double portion in terms of inheritance, because he has the responsibility of the family name and so forth and so on. And perhaps... This particular event is a younger brother complaining that, you know what, he got twice as much and I got half as much and, you know, sure would be better if, if all was equal and maybe, maybe Jesus will see it my way. I, you know, it, it's really hard to say. He seems to see things justly. So I'm, I see injustice in me. So let me ask him. If he sees it too. <laughs> yeah, really, it's kind of a, a no-lose situation, because if he asks right. and he says, no, you're no worse off than you were, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, so, oh, so let's, let's just, you know, we'll, 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 we'll pursue what happens with this conversation. We welcome all comments or questions. Even if you disagree with us, give us a call. We're live at 866-985-4ALL. That's 866-985-4255. Okay, so we're, we're looking at this account, and we're going to follow this account through the podcast and the parable that Jesus uses to teach a really, really important lesson, and it's going to be a theme of helping us understand what Christian abundance is and what Christian abundance is not. So as we go through this, focus on that. We want to figure out, by the words of Jesus, what it means to have abundance in as a Christian, because it's different than what so many of us think. So let's go to Luke 12 now. Now we'll go to just verse 14. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? And Rick, um, judge means an appointer, and arbitrator means an administrator. Okay, so who made me the guy who figures out your financial needs? You know, that, that's really what he's saying. And yes. And that's Jesus. That doesn't sound like a characteristic answer for Jesus in some ways, because I mean he like knew the answer to everything, right? He sure did. <laughs> so, so to for him to say that is almost surprising when you hear hear that response. Let's go to another commentator on on this answer of Jesus. Uh, let's go to a Kaufman on this just for a few lines. Although no fault could be found with this man's request, Christ absolutely refused to accede to it. Jesus did not approach the problems of social injustice by an assault upon the established institutions. He did not take the man's part against those who had wronged him. And that's if they had wronged him. Maybe he wasn't even wronged. Maybe he was just looking to get a little more. We don't know. So, again, the question you have to ask yourself is, why wouldn't Jesus get involved? Wouldn't his reasoning and his judgment have resolved the issue? I mean, Jesus, if you want to talk to somebody who had the best wisdom in the world— that's the guy. He's right yep. there. He's right in front of you. So why wouldn't he get involved? Well, let's go to Jesus' own explanation of his role in the world much later on in his life. This is uh, 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 nearing the time of his crucifixion, John chapter 18, verses 35 and 36, when Jesus is brought before Pontius Pilate. Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, 
My kingdom is not of this realm. All right. So Jesus didn't get involved because he knew it wasn't his place to get involved. I mean, that's pretty amazing. He says, my kingdom doesn't belong here. So I'm not going to get involved in your stuff. I'm going to be about something higher, different, better. No, your stuff doesn't mean anything to me. Christians take note. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Like, you know, from what I hear from Jesus, uh, there's no entitlements in this world uh, for us Christians. We're ambassadors for Christ. Our hope is heavenward, not to deal with the petty of this world. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, positively. Uh, let's go to John 14, Jonathan. John 14, verses 2 and 3, okay? In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So Jesus is teaching us a very specific lesson there, and that brings us to our first Christian abundance lesson. Jonathan, what is that? Well, Rick, the source of our abundance is entirely from an eternal zip code. Okay. Our abundance source comes from our eternal zip code. You know, the, and, and that's a strange way to say it, but it's in heaven. Our abundance as Christians is a heavenly reward. And you know what, Jonathan? They don't have money. They don't have Ferraris. They don't have houses in heaven. You don't take anything with you. No, you don't. And we're so glad for that. So the source of Christian abundance is something heavenly, not earthly. And we have to get our arms around that idea because that's where so many Christians get so incredibly confused uh, in, in our day and in our age. And, and that happens in a lot of the megachurches. And you say, okay, you know, how does, how does a church get that big? Well, they have to be saying something that is very, very attractive to lots and lots of people. So to the average person, what might be attractive? Well, look, Jesus loves you. Jesus wants the best for you. Jesus wants to ha you to have a better house than you have. Jesus wants you to have a better life than you have. Jesus wants you to have a better job than you have. Jesus wants you to have all of these things. So it's really a powerful, powerful tool. Jonathan, we're going to go to the phones. I think we have uh, Glory Beth from the Philippines on the line. Good evening, Glory Beth. Welcome to the program. Glory Beth, are you there? Hi. Hi, can you hear me? I can hear you now. Oh, good. Uh, good morning. You're from the Philippines. Yes, it's morning there, huh? Yes, uh, 9 a.m. Okay. Uh, this day. So, tell I'd like to read uh, very interesting about prosperity gospel. I've been through a uh, church like that. And so this verse, they always say this verse, this is in John 10, verse 10. Uh-huh. I uh, said, the thief comes only to, to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And also, one of my inspirational verse is Psalm 23, verse 1, that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And one of the translations I read is, I lack not, no good thing. No good thing. And this in... John chapter 10 is about Peter Shepherd. So, and uh, most of the prosperity 
Joshua Church, our friends I had, uh, I have it. Um, they always talk about delight yourself in the Lord and He shall give you the desires of your heart. And, you know, it's about coveting. But I think if the Lord is our delight, what more else can we ask for? And that's um, the point. And then if He's our shepherd, here in John chapter 10, it's about this is our shepherd. So we feel um, confident that He will provide all the things that we need. And also... Philippians 4.19, that um, my God shall supply all you need. So, so lovely. Glory, Beth, great, great scriptures, great thoughts on that. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right, have a good day over there in the Philippines. Thanks for calling. Your caller hung up. Okay, so Jonathan, are you there? I am, Rick. Okay, um, so, you know, Glory, Beth's comment was really well put. It's, it's the idea that... Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And she said, look, if, if you are delighting in the Lord, what are the desires of your heart, heart going to be? They're going to be to serve him. They're not going to be to what I can get. They're going to be to serve him. Christian abundance has to do so much with serving him. So uh, we really want to make sure that we understand how important it is for us to get that wrapped around in our minds because it's so important to know what is it that we are truly after as Christians. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Today's episode is, Is Christianity a Greedy Religion? Coming up, Jesus decisively shot down the question. Does he just leave the man with their hard answer? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Today's episode is, Is Christianity a Greedy Religion? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL. Or you can message us on your app. Christian Questions, a voice of reason in a world that's lost its way. Keep in touch at ChristianQuestions.com. All right, so Jonathan, we're going to be continuing with this, this story about this man who asked this question of Jesus. Hey, tell my brother to, uh, you know, to uh, give, me, give, me, give me some of that inheritance, will you? And Jesus basically said, nope, I'm not getting involved in your life. So it was really an important thing uh, to say, okay, Jesus doesn't usually, to the average person, isn't usually harsh. And that sounded kind of harsh, okay? So uh, we're going to need to get back to that. But right now, let's go to a call. I think we've got, uh, let's see here. We think we have uh, Brian from Atlanta, Georgia on the line. Good evening, Brian, and welcome to Christian Questions. Well, thanks for having you. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you just fine. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. I, uh, you did invite me uh, based on something I wrote to yes. you, and, uh, you know, I didn't think you'd respond as you did, but I think it's quite interesting that you, you know, uh, timely, you know, I think, uh, questions to ask about Greek and Christianity. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, and you know your your response to us was you know a very sarcastic response about hey you know Christianity is a great business I can get into it can make a lot of money and all of that and I thought you know I like that I like the sarcasm because that's exactly what we think is wrong with Christianity so 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 give us some of your thoughts or your experiences on this. Well, I wrote it kind of as a I took the point of view rather than blaming you know tele, greedy televangelists just like look okay you know we all got to make a living. And what if you were good at good at good at preaching, and you you know actually maybe believe in the Bible, but then you know, and it's like, well, it's like I could really, I really want to do this, you know. It's like, yeah, I got to make a living, and it's like, okay, all these people want to give me money, and <laughs> and it's like, it, and that's undeniable. It's not that's the nature of religion, is that when for anything that gets really popular, all of a sudden, you know, it's like oh, there's this river of money there. <laughs> Shall we take it or not? Mm-hmm. And so it's like, so people get into that with all the right intentions. I'm not saying that they're all, all, you know, um, all of these preachers are evil or greedy, but it's, it's like, but look at it from, from their perspective. It's like, well, we've got to make a living. Okay. But do you, that's fine. But do you need all that? Right, right, right. No, you're right. And that's kind of the point you're, you're bringing up. It's like, well, they could just, they will justify it to a degree, but many don't even try to anymore. And it starts to make, you know, Christianity look bad to the non-Christians, and starts to it really starts to um, impact negatively the whole message of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. And and so it's like, well, and it's like, well, you know, don't you know that you're negatively impacting uh, the message? Well, that's what you say, you know, but we we think we really believe that we're doing right. Plus, we you know, and and, and they have. You know these mega churches, man. They must tens of millions of dollars worth of assets. Yes, and they become business enterprise. Is that a church anymore? Right. Well, yeah, we're getting the getting the gospel out to millions and millions of people, making them feel better. Um, and um, but do they give money? Yes, we sent missions to Africa. We blah blah blah. It's like, well, think about. It. So it's, it's just it's it's just simply we can criticize it all we want. To say it's bad, but it's, it's simply part of our world. Okay. Well, it is. It is, and, and it's. How, so the book, yeah. Well, and, and it's part of a world that's really gone off the rails in, in a lot of ways, and that's really what we're uh, going to be getting into uh, a little bit more tonight. I'm going to need to to wrap up your comments here, Brian, if you can. Yeah. Well, just to say, Billy Graham w- was not greedy. No. But he brought in millions of dollars. He did inspire a lot of people. But over the years, it's become more and more powerful as mass media and everything. And now it becomes, okay, greed doesn't limit itself to money. It gets into power. And that's the danger here is like yeah. greed. Um, it's like, okay, if we, if you could eliminate all Muslims, you know, it's like, yeah, <laughs> also it becomes like people can get killed. So that's the danger of, of greed. And greed is a very subtle, powerful thing. And it really has nothing to do with the, the, it is, it is opposition to Jesus Christ, and um, I think that uh, I think mainstream churches need to do more to speak out. I, I guess that's my me- my real message: is Methodists, Lutherans, Presbyterians, and even you know Baptists, and anyone who's sincere and is not greedy needs to really speak out. I, I agree with you, Brian. Really appreciate your uh, your calling in and giving us your thoughts. Thanks so much. Okay, thank you for having me. Have a good night. And uh, f- folks, it really is quite amazing to to see that um, 
that that experience from from Brian's perspective, and a, again, he had written into us uh, about the idea of uh, Christianity and uh, what was going on with it, and uh, and when when you you get to see what was really happening, um, it really made a, a big difference for him, obviously. And it it uh, and his point is, look, speak out against the greed because the greed is an absolute misrepresentation of what it is that we do and what we stand for. So, Brian, thanks again uh, for calling in. We appreciate your your call and your thoughts. And uh, folks, you know, we love to hear from you. And Brian had emailed, and we emailed back, and it was saying, hey, look, you know, call in because we're doing a program on what you emailed about. And we we love to have you all take that opportunity whenever you can. So, Jonathan, let's get back to our our story in Luke. We're in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Remember, Jesus just kind of shot down the, the, the answer to the guy who says, hey, Jesus, tell my brother to give me more. And he just said, nope, I'm not getting involved in your business. And then in Luke 12, 15, what does he say? Then he said to them, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. Now, this is a short statement, but this is one of the most profound things that Jesus begins to get into, this in the next statement. So notice how specific he is. So, so Jonathan, what we're doing is, in, the, in our interpretation of this, we're dropping in the definitions of the word. So beware, what does it mean? Discern clearly. And be on your guard. What does it mean to be on your guard? Watch. Against every form. All, any, or every. Every form of greed. What does greed mean? Avarice, fraudulency, extortion. Avarice. That's a word that we don't use so much these days. Uh, so, what, what? Just dictionary definition of avarice. What is it? Excessive or insatiable desire for wealth or gain. So, what Jesus is saying is here is discern clearly and watch against any, all, and every form of insatiable desire for wealth or gain. So he's clear. Be painfully aware and informed of what greed is in all of its forms. Why? The next part of Luke 12, 15 is really the core of Jesus' teaching here. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Not even when you have all that stuff does your life actually consist of all those things. This is one of the most profound tests for anyone who might have abundance. And, and you know, let, let, let's be clear right here. Having a lot is not necessarily a sin whatsoever. What you do with the a lot that you have, now that's the question. And what Jesus says here is a great test. If you are one who has a lot and you've been blessed with a lot, maybe you've worked really hard in life and you've lived very frugally and, and, you've, and you've built up a decent store for yourself, one of the most profound tests for anyone who has abundance is what truly makes your life work. So the observation here is that the tenor of Jesus' answer perhaps leans towards. Now, you were wondering, was there wrongdoing that provoked the guy to ask Jesus a question about the inheritance? I don't know if it was so much wrongdoing because the answer that Jesus gives here about having abundance doesn't make your life better. So the tenor of his answer leans toward the questioner having asked Jesus to help gain a greater share than he might have been entitled to. Maybe he was looking to just like even the score because like you said, he's the, the second born and, you know, he just wants to get as much as the other guy. and It's only exactly. fair, you know. 
Yeah. So, so Jesus is saying that everything we imagine about a wealthy life can be deceiving. It's not necessarily true, but it can be deceiving. For our lives consist of much greater treasures than any earthly possessions we could ever hope for or ever hold. There's a great parable. We're only going to just touch on a line from this parable tonight. Remember the parable of the sower who sowed the seeds and it goes out on all the different kinds of ground? Yes. Let's go to that parable, Luke eight fourteen. The seed which fell upon the thorns, these are the ones who had heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. And, you know, that kind of goes back to Brian's comment because he was talking about the true value of Christianity and how it gets lost when you're looking at the wealth, you know, and and talking about preachers, well, you know, and they need to make a living, but then it gets out of hand and so forth and so on. We'll address that a little bit later. Go ahead. And, Rick, it makes me think um, there's no value or no legacy of character that you're leaving when you're choked out. Um, What will you be remembered for in following Christ? Or will you be remembered for following Christ? And that's the point. The, the, the seeds that fall among the thorns, they take some kind of root, but they don't have enough strength to really grow because too many other things get in the way. And what's listed here are worries and riches and pleasures of this life. Worries we can all relate to. Riches a lot of us would like to relate to. <laughs> well, maybe not. <laughs> Look see, what happens to all the, ho- the movie stars with all this wealth, and, and their life goes to shambles. Yeah, you know, that, that's, a, that's a good point, because there's an awful lot of that falling apart of life when you uh, when look at people who've got so, so, so much. And so this particular line of this particular parable helps us to really see things a little bit more clearly. So this brings us to Christian abundance lesson number two. The attractiveness and power of earthly abundance may easily serve to distract and destroy the overwhelming blessing of spiritual abundance. All right. The attractiveness, try it again, Rick. The attractiveness and power of earthly abundance easily distract and destroy the blessing of spiritual abundance. You've got to make a choice. Which are you going for? The attractiveness and power or the blessing? We'd love to talk to you right now. We're live. Call us at 866-985-4ALL. That's 866-985-4255. Or leave us a comment at ChristianQuestions.com. Jonathan, let's go back to that uh, YouTube video that we were using uh, about the megachurch false pastors living like rock stars. And that, again, that alludes to what Brian was saying uh, in his, in his uh, comments. But when it comes to opulence, few religious leaders compare to Kenneth Copeland. You and I are supposed to always have. He lives in this home outside Fort Worth, Texas. It has beautiful water views and comes complete with a boathouse. But that's not all. Copeland is an avid pilot, and here's his pride and joy, a $20 million Cessna Citation jet. It's the fastest private jet money can buy. He said he needed it to better serve the Lord, and proudly did a flyby for his followers after the church bought it. But it's not just one plane. We found a fleet of planes registered to the church. And you won't catch him waiting in line at the airport because he's got his own. 
Okay, so my question, Jonathan, is really simple. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul doing a flyby for the churches that he served? No, Rick, I can't. <laughs> and and it's just such a different picture than the original gospel. And it's a tra—in my mind, it's a tragic picture, because it's supposed to be representing the gospel, but what it represents is exactly, exactly the opposite. So getting back to our story, as is usual for Jesus, he doesn't stop— by just telling the guy, no, I'm not getting involved in your life and in your, your financial administration because it's not my job. Um, he's not just stopping with a no answer. He now begins to tell a story that will reinforce the power and importance of his answer. Uh, and so he's going to continue and deepen the lesson. Let's look now at Luke 12. We're just going down through the verses, verses 16 and 17. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? Okay, let's just make several observations about those few verses there, uh, because it helps to put the story in perspective. So it says, and he told them a parable. He's making up a story, and he's using the story and the character in the story to teach a moral lesson, to teach a spiritual lesson, to teach a life lesson lesson. So let's, let's go through a few observations, Jonathan. The rich man would presumably be wealthy through honest work and gain. Right. So we're going to look at this rich guy and say, you know what? He got rich because he worked really hard and, he, and, 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 and really dedicated himself. What else? The productivity of his land would presumably be a result of meticulous attention and work. Not just hard work, but meticulous attention to the crops and their cultivation and to the times and the seasons and knowing what you're supposed to know and doing what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it. So let's assume that this man in this parable was doing all of the right things. Go ahead. Next one. His thoughts, his thoughts would also be the wishes of anyone who was not wealthy. I have so much. Right. And he, and he says, I began, he began reasoning to himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And Rick, it's beginning to look a lot like, like Christmas? it's all about no. him <laughs> and him alone. <laughs> all about him. Okay, not Christmas. It yeah. is. It's beginning to look a lot like me, my, my world my stuff, my gain, what am I going to do with all that I have earned? I mean, it's all about me. That brings us, so these couple of verses set the stage. And they say that, okay, he's reasoning with himself. He's got, he's had such abundance from his hard, hard work. What is he supposed to do with it all? What's Christian abundance lesson number three? Rick, the attractiveness and power of earthly abundance may easily become a self-absorbing endeavor. Focus on it to become attractive and powerful in the eyes of men. So, the attractiveness, attractiveness and power of earthly abundance, self-absorbing endeavor, because it takes time and effort. Now that you've got it, you want to keep it and make it grow and make it safe and make it do this and make it do that. And, and, and now it's all about you. It's all about what and you— also it's, Look at me. Look what I've done. Yeah. Hey, check this out, yeah. everybody. Yeah, yeah. So it becomes self-absorbing. Jesus didn't want us to be self-absorbed. And I would say, therefore, Jesus wasn't telling us to go get rich. 
Okay, I just I just want to make that 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 same. With that in mind, let's go back to the YouTube video. Mega church false pastors living like rock stars. Remember talking about one particular guy who not only had one airplane, twenty million dollar airplane, but a whole fleet of airplanes and his own airport. Okay, what next? Televangelism alone is at least a two and a half to three billion dollar industry untaxed, unregulated. That's right. By law, religious groups like Copeland's are exempt from federal taxes, and they don't have to report how they spend their money to anyone. Amen. Copeland's church takes in tens of millions a year through donations and selling books and DVDs to his donors. She sent them a lot of money, a, a whole lot of money. When Christy Parker's mother died of cancer, she found diaries that showed her mother sent Copeland most of her life savings, hoping her faith and donations would cure her of her terminal disease. Rick, it sounds like the congregation is under a spell here. Yeah, you know, we, we talk about the gospel, but what's happening is the congregations, when they're given to these ministers, are under a good spell. Not, a, not the gospel of Jesus Christ, but a good spell of a good talker. And mm. there's a big difference between those two things. They're really true. Oh, yes. So perhaps we should find another self-fulfilling prophecy uh, to, to focus on, because that's not the one we want to get into. We want to stay away from that. Let's take a look at Ecclesiastes 11, verses 1 and 2. Cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you will find it after many days. Divide your portion to seven, or even to eight, for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. So really what this is saying is, be generous. Cast your stuff out, out from you. Divide your portion amongst seven or even eight others because you don't know what misfortune is coming, and you want to help others. You want to help everybody. See, there's a difference, Jonathan, between uh, giving something your attention— you know, when you have goods, you have to give them attention, and then giving them your focus. And for the Christian, we have to make sure we understand the difference of the two, because the Christian is supposed to be casting their bread upon the waters. We're supposed to be having an attitude of giving, not getting. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Today's episode is, Is Christianity a Greedy Religion? Coming up, which is better? The security of too much or the fulfillment of being generous and caring. That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Today's episode is, Is Christianity a Greedy Religion? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL, or you can message us on your app. Also, interact with us on Facebook, tweet us at CQNet Radio, and we're now on Instagram. So, Jonathan, we're going through this parable that Jesus is, is using to reinforce the point of not getting involved in somebody's earthly possessions. And he's saying, look, you've got to be focused and understand that not even when one has abundance does his life cons consist of his possessions. So he tells a story about a man who worked really hard, who had great abundance, and he's talking to himself saying, well, you know, what am I supposed to do with all the stuff that I've got because I've got so much? What am I doing? It's, it's, I'm just so successful. It's incredible how successful I have truly become. <laughs> so let's go now to Luke 12, verse 18. 
Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. All right. Several observations on this short little verse. First of all, what's the fir- first, first one? Barns and storage already exist, Rick, but this is now an opportunity bigger than any before. All right, bigger and better and and more powerful and more impressive looking because I've got so much to store. But Jonathan, for those who follow Christ, it's a whole different ballgame. Where and how should we be seeking our opportunity? Well, let's look at Proverbs 19, verses 20 to 21. Listen to counsel and accept discipline, that you may be wise the rest of your days. Many plans are in man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. So for those who follow Christ, it's not what do I do to build it bigger and better, that's the most important thing. It's the counsel of the Lord. We have lots of things. As Christians, you might have lots of things that go through your mind. That's good. That's fine. But that's not what the important thing is. The important thing is the counsel of the Lord God in your mind through Jesus. What is he teaching you about handling whatever abundance you might have to find true Christian abundance? What's the uh, the next observation regarding this verse about what am I supposed to do? I'll tear down my barns, I'll build larger ones, I'll store all my grains and all my goods, and boy, oh boy, oh boy. Well, Rick, plans must be carefully laid and thought deeply upon to house this abundance. And that's one of the things we have to be so aware of, is when you have a lot, you have to think a lot about the, 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 the amount that you have. But the thing for Jonathan, for Christians, our time is not our own. So what process should we, should you and I follow to lay out and think upon these plans for life? Well, interestingly, Right in the New Testament, it gives us a really simple, straightforward way to do this. James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, I will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Folks, your homework assignment is to look up this scripture and read it again. James 4, 13 to 17, because it nails down the process of Christian thinking in our daily lives so we can make the right kinds of decisions when we're faced with dealing with the things of life. And again, Jonathan, it's a matter of if the Lord wills it. That's right, Rick. And it's really, really a simple, straightforward thing. What's the next Christian abundance lesson? This would be lesson number four. The attractiveness and power of earthly abundance and the time and effort it requires— are natural detractors from our attendance to our spiritual abundance. The time and the effort that that physical abundance takes naturally will detract from your spiritual life and your spiritual abundance. So we have to be really, really careful to make sure that we are focusing in 
on what the right things are, on, on what is so important here. Um, Jonathan, uh, we're going to be going to a call. I believe we have Julius on the line from Connecticut. Good evening, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions. Thank you, Rick. Good evening to you and Jonathan. Thank and you. And the whole team. And I'd like to say hello to my friends in Australia. They, they listen to your program uh, there. And also my niece in uh, Los Angeles, Debbie, she listens to your program. Anyway, uh, 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 what a challenging topic for our day because you see, you know, the whole idea of uh, greed, gaining, uh, you know, uh, uh, power, money, you know, with money goes power and prestige. Uh, so the whole idea is contrary to God's ways, God's methods. Just a couple of scriptures to, to uh, prove that out, uh, to share with you, which I think they're they very powerful, and, and this idea that we, we're not to seek wealth and power. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is uh, one, Kings, 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon's Prayer. Go ahead. Chapter 3, verse 11, so specific. It says, uh, uh, Jehovah God tells uh, answers to Solomon, because you did not ask for riches, I will give them to you. See, God does not like to, you know, ask, to ask for money. And uh, another scripture, the other one, one of my favorite scriptures is Matthew 8, chapter 8, verse 20, about our Lord Jesus, how his, uh, his life surroundings, lifestyle, that, you know, where he says that uh, the birds of the air have nests and the foxes have, uh, you know, uh, holes, whatever. But the Son of Man, the Son of God, had not a place where to lay his head. There you go. What example. Yes. Yeah, that's the direction that we, we, uh, we try to copy. God bless. Thank you. Julius, thanks so much. We appreciate your call. And uh, again, very, very well stated in terms of putting things in perspective for our uh, ability to, to know what's right. And, and, you know, Jonathan, one of the things Julia said that was so, so poignant was Jesus did not have a place to lay his head. And you think about it, he went through life with nothing in terms of earthly possessions, right? That's right, for and, sure. And what a great! He started with the robe at baptism, and he ended with that same robe at crucifixion. So you think about it, and think, wow, wait a minute now, hold on. It just gives you a whole different perspective than all of this mega stuff. So let's just reread Luke twelve eighteen right from from the beginning of the segment, Jonathan, because we just want to make another observation or two on that one. Then he said, "This is what I will do: I will tear down my barns and build larger ones." And there I will store all my grain and my goods. Okay, so here's the interesting thing. Next observation, Jonathan, I find very fascinating. What is it? Well, Rick, I and my six times in this verse alone. <laughs> me, 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 my, 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 yeah. I, I, I. It really is amazing when you think about it. It's, he's, he's reasoning within himself, and he's talking to himself about himself and about his stuff and how he is going to protect his stuff for his own future. And there's nobody else included. That's what happens with the power of abundance. It takes us and starts to refocus us and makes us start thinking about just me and mine. And our focus and attention 
should not be that way. It should be absolutely upward. As a Christian, that's our job. That's what we're all about. James chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. So God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Again, having riches is not the sin. It's what is the attitude with which you manage those riches. That can be the blessing or it can be the sin. That's what Jesus is driving at with this parable. That's why Jesus told that young man, no, I'm not going to get involved in trying to administrate your finances for you. That's not my job. That's not what I'm about. I'm about something more than that. See, the true God in our lives is really truly determined by who or what we pay the most attention to. So, if you want... Are are they things or are they our Heavenly Father? So, if you want to know what you're truly dedicated to, take a look, an honest look, at what is it you pay the most attention to in your life. And like you said, is it your things? Is it your 401k plan balance? Is it the, the, the things that you have inherited, perhaps? Um, is it what you have saved up? Is it the bigger house? Is it the car that you have a picture of on your refrigerator that you look at every day and say, I want that car, I want that car? If those are the things that you think most about, then guess what your God is. And that's a wake-up call. That's a really, really, really important wake-up call for us. This is Christian Questions, your weekly live podcast to help you think about the Bible like you never have before. Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com or call us now at 866-985-4255. And remember, it's about the gospel of Jesus Christ, not a good spell from some good talker. So one, one more observation point on this verse where all the eyes and the mys and about tearing down my barns and building larger ones so I can store my grains and my goods for my future. Well, Rick, there's no mention of a sacrifice of thanksgiving or of giving to those in need. Right. There's no mention of anyone or anything else. And again, this is a story, and Jesus is telling the story this way to make this precise point. Let's go to James 1, 17 and 18. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. All right. So every good and perfect gift from, comes from above, from the Father of lights. So, so uh, you know, we keep focusing on, you should be spiritually focused. You should be looking at things of the, of the Spirit. You don't have to be worried about things of the flesh. And so, so uh, my wife just put a note right in front of me. says, okay, so are we all supposed to be poor? Is this what you're saying? And no, <laughs> that's not it. That's not it at all. Not even remotely close. 
you know, and she says, Jesus says not to worry about what you, what you will eat or where you'll sleep and so forth. And we're actually going to get to that scripture at the end of our podcast tonight. Um, but it's about what are we, what is our life about? What is the focus of our life? What's the most important thing in our life? We go to work and maybe you love your job and I hope you do. I hope you love your job, but you love your job so you can do your job well, so you can get paid, so you can support your family, so you can give your time and your effort and your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength to serving God through Christ. See, to me, that's the way it works for me. You know, and, and amen, brother. And that's, amen. The way, and that's the way it works for you. So, so let's go to Christian abundance lesson number five. I want to get through these pieces and then talk about some practicality here. Christian abundance lesson number five. The attractiveness and power of earthly abundance are enablers of ego, and that enabling disables our true focus, selflessness, spirituality, and Christ-likeness. This is such an important point, the attractiveness and power of earthly abundance. And if you notice, Jonathan, almost every single one of these Christian abundance lessons starts with that phrase, the attractiveness and power of earthly abundance, because it is attractive. And it's incredibly powerful. But what it does is enables, it enables our egos. And when our egos are enabled, that disables our true focus, which is Christ-likeness, selflessness, and spirituality. Choose this day whom you will serve. I mean, that's really what it boils down to. That's what Joshua said to, to, to the people. You know, are you going to serve God or are you going to go back and serve the gods of this world? And really, that's what, what we're focusing on here. Let's go to uh, another soundbite from uh, Mega Church False Pastors Living Like rock stars, And uh, remember the last one was about a whole fleet of airplanes? And, yes. and so, you know, these, these investigators wanted to find out, well, why is it that you need a whole fleet of airplanes? And so uh, here, here's, here's what happened. Copeland refused our request for an interview, so we caught up with him at an event in North Carolina. Why you're living such a lifestyle of luxury off of church donations? Ma'am, I don't think we have time for this. Thank you. Why won't you answer our questions? A hotel employee tried to prevent us from taping. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Come here. It's just a simple question, sir. Yes, and I'm going to give you a simple answer. Thank you. My lifestyle follows the scripture we give, we believe, we're open. You have a fleet of private jets. Why is that necessary? You're a minister. How many private jets do you have? Right after that, he walked away. So, you know, that, that was classic because he just finished saying, you know, my, my lifestyle is, is about the scriptures and we're open. And first of all, I, I heartily disagree with that lifestyle being scriptural in terms of a Christian. You know, it's more like King Solomon. And you see what happened to King Solomon, okay? Oh, yes. Vanity, so, vanity, yeah, all is vanity. Yeah, really. But then he says, you know, we're, we live according to the scriptures and we're open. So she asked the next question. Okay, well, then why do you need all these airplanes? And he says, well, that's none of your business. Well, if you're so open, why isn't it, why won't you answer the question? Because those airplanes technically belong to the church, not to you. So what's the problem? You're just representing your church. What is it the church of? It's not the church of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the church of a good spell cast by a good talker. And that's the wrong direction to go. Let's go to James 1, verses 5 and 6. 
But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives so graciously and generously, without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. So, Jonathan, when we look at this, what we see is a stark contrast between the gospel of prosperity, which is really a good spell by good talkers, and the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the good news by the Son of God. And to choose the good news means you're choosing not earthly abundance, because Jesus didn't talk to us about that's your goal, that's your objective, that's what you need to go after, but we're talking about spiritual abundance and what spiritual abundance really, truly means for our lives. So folks, that's a start. In the second hour, we're going to expand on that and try to get into more practicality of what does it mean for us. Uh, you know, okay, you work in the gospel. I mean, should you get paid for the work you do in the gospel? I mean, should you have a house given to you by those who you're helping out in the gospel? What the, what's the practicality of our lives in terms of what we are giving to the Lord? For Jonathan Rick and Christian Questions, we'll be back Uh, in just a moment. But until then, it's really about Christianity, and it's about looking at greed and saying, do the two ever belong together? We think the answer is no. Much more to come. We'll be back in just a moment. But till then, Christianity and greed. Think about it. Our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Eric Frome once said, Greed is a bottomless pit which exhausts the person in an endless effort to satisfy the need without ever reaching satisfaction. Boy, is that good. Folks, welcome back. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a very different perspective. And Jonathan, what is the topic on the table for today? The question is, is Christianity a greedy religion? And Rick, our theme text is found in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Then he said to them, Beware, and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. That's such a powerful statement. Not even when one has abundance does his life consist of his possessions. So Jesus is already saying right there, Look, it's not a matter of you're not supposed to be wealthy or you're not supposed to have anything. It's a matter of where is your heart? What is it that you are doing with what you have? And so we're going through this parable that Jesus is using to teach us how to find true Christian abundance. And so far, Jonathan, everything we've talked about from the standpoint of Jesus is not, Christian abundance is not the same as earthly abundance. No, it's not. It's an entirely different subject matter. It's like you have a book on the, on the shelf that says abundance, and then on the bottom it says earthly. And then there's a whole different book that says abundance, and on the bottom it says spiritual. They're two different books. 
They're not remotely related because spiritual abundance is so much bigger. It's, well, let me, I'm getting ahead of myself, as I usually do. (laughs) I get all excited, all hot under the collar. (laughs) So Christian abundance, what is it? Where does it come from and how does it work? We're looking at Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. We went through five lessons of Christian abundance in the first hour, Jonathan. Let's quickly review them now. Number one, the source of our abundance is entirely from our eternal zip code. So our eternal zip code is where? Heaven. That's right, because Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions and many rooms. If, I did, if it wasn't true, I wouldn't say it. I go to prepare a place for you. You're moving. You're relocating. And to where you are relocating, it is from there that any abundance of yours should come, your eternal zip code. What's lesson, lesson number two. two? Go ahead. The attractiveness and power of earthly abundance may easily serve to distract and destroy the overwhelming blessings of spiritual abundance. So the attractiveness and power of earthly abundance. And every one of these lessons has this phrase now from here forward. And so it can, it can distract and destroy the blessing of spiritual abundance. What's the third lesson? Attractiveness and power of earthly abundance may easily become a self-absorbing endeavor focused on it to become attractive and powerful in the eyes of men. It is self-absorbing. It just sucks you into thinking about yourself because the attractiveness and power of earthly abundance is all about me, how I look, what I have, what I do, how I show myself to others. Lesson three. Lesson four. Lesson four. I knew that. (laughs) The attractiveness and power of earthly abundance and the time and effort it requires are natural detractors from our attendance to our spiritual abundance. There's only so much time and effort that we can put in with our our little feeble human minds. So are we going to spend a lot of it on trying to find the attractiveness and power of earthly abundance, or are we going to focus on the the, the blessing of of, uh, or attendance to our spiritual abundance? And the fifth lesson from the first hour. The attractiveness and power of earthly abundance are enablers of ego, And that enabling disables our true focus, selflessness, spirituality, and Christ-likeness. When you flip the switch of ego, it automatically, by default, turns off the switch of selflessness, spirituality, and Christ-likeness. And you can have a a, a toggle switch war for the rest of your life if you want. Or you can decide, i got to put that ego thing aside as best as I can. That's really one of the the lessons here that we're trying to get across that Jesus is teaching us through this really simple little parable. So, so Jonathan, let's go to a, a different set of sound bites for this hour. Uh, we're going to go to um, and again a YouTube video called "Another Greedy Megachurch Twisting Scripture." This particular church is from the continent of Australia. So, what this is telling us is that. Money problems exist throughout the world. It's not just America. You know, a lot of people look at America and say, yeah, well, that's where it all is. No, no, no. There's, there's a lot of this stuff going on in Europe. Uh, there's tons of it going on in Nigeria. And, and this particular one, because there's a, a good description here, uh, is from uh, Australia. So let's listen. There's money to be made in Jesus. Lots of it. One cash offering of... million dollars. And the best part is, it's all tax-free. Everybody say taxes. Who wouldn't like to start up an organization that gives you eternal life and freedom from taxes as well? 
Oh, so there you go, Jonathan. <laughs> go to heaven and don't pay taxes. What could be better than that? I think a lot of things, actually. I mean, the going to heaven part is all really good. But the idea... What happened to pay unto Caesar what are Caesar's? <laughs> well, what happened, to, what happened to the focus of our Christian lives? If we are really focused on getting and accumulating, accumulating, then what we're missing is growing and being blessed. You see, if you're in the, in, in the business of accumulating, you're not in the business of growing. Because you can't do both of those things because they're contrary to each other. Spiritual growth and physical and earthly accumulation, it just doesn't, just doesn't work together. Now look, there are those who can actually have and have done really well for themselves, and they've accumulated wealth. Good, wonderful. The question is, where is your heart? What is it that you do with that which you have accumulated? Those are the important questions. So let's get back to our parable, Luke 12, 19. Remember now the last verse, Luke 12, 18, wasn't that the one where he said me and my and I like six times in one verse? Yes, exactly. Okay, so the guy is just uh, in this self-absorbed role of Luke 12, 19. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. So he's really sort of kicking back and saying, I've made it, got nothing else to worry about, everything is fine because I've done a good job for me. Now look, it's okay to do a good job for yourself and your family. There's nothing wrong with accumulating a retirement account or savings accounts and all of those kinds of things to, to keep your family uh, supported. There's nothing wrong with that. But where is your heart? That's got to be the question. So, observations on this scripture about saying to my soul, myself, soul, man, you've done good. And, you know, it's, it's like he's got long arms, this guy. I know that because he's patting himself on the back a lot. Okay? <laughs> so, for, first observation. The arrogance that can come with earthly abundance shuts out the needs of the world around us. Okay. The arrogance that can come with earthly abundance shuts off the needs of the world. Doesn't mean that arrogance has to come with earthly abundance, but it's usually part of the package unless you, you toss it out, okay? So God, so, so let's use Israel as an example. God knew uh, right from Israel's beginning that he wanted to bless them in basket and in store because what other way do you bless an earthly nation than with earthly abundance? Right. That made perfect sense for the earthly nation of Israel. He About also a land flowing with milk and honey. Right. Key awesome. focus, land. That was their zip code. That's where their abundance came from. It was the land that produced the abundance. Our zip code is different. We should get our abundance from where our zip code is. Okay? Our promised land is in heaven. So he but God also knew he wanted to bless them in basket and store. He also knew the dangers of such blessing and he warned them. Early, early on, way back in Deuteronomy, he warned them. Deuteronomy 8, 11 to 18. Beware that you do not forget the Lord, your God, by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. Beware you don't forget who your God is. How easily we might, for, might we forget the power of God in our lives uh, when it comes to having earthly abundance. How easy it is to forget those things. 
Next observation. The imagination that can come out of earthly abundance creates a false sense of security. Okay. Again, the imagination that can, doesn't have to, but that can come out of earthly abundance, it gives you this false sense of security. And God explained that to Israel right off the bat. Again, let's, we're in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Let's go to verses 12 to 15. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and gold multiply, and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of Flint. And Rick, this reminds me of King Nebuchadnezzar with all the gardens and the beauty around him. And unfortunately, he went to the arrogance. Look yes, what I have exactly. created. Look what I have done. And the Lord punished him for that attitude. He did. And again, there, it's a common denominator. When we get full of I, we can't see God. Jonathan, we've got a call. Let's go to uh, David from uh, Washington. David, good evening and welcome to Christian Questions. David, are you there? Okay, I don't know what happened to David. David, can you hear me? All right, uh, you know what? I don't know what happened to David on that. So, um, I'm sorry, David, try calling back if you can hear me. I, we must have had a bad connection or something. So, uh, Jonathan? Jonathan, you there? I am here. Okay, um, I don't know. We, we kind of lost David there. I don't know what happened. Hopefully he'll give a call back. But, um, you know, we're, we're talking about this particular scripture, and we're looking at the, the, uh, the wrong that can happen when we forget God. And it's like, okay, look at what I've done for myself. Look at how strong I am. Look at how powerful I am. Look how wise I am. Look at how good I am. Look at look what I've done. And if we don't put in the context of God first, then we lose and we get full of ego instead of full of God's blessing. And the two don't work. You know, and here's the question. If my church is telling me that riches are my destiny, what happens to my instinctive leaning on God? Folks, if you won't need to, will you, Rick? No, you won't. And if you're church is focusing you on riches as your destiny, then you have to start asking yourself, is that the gospel of Jesus Christ, or is that just a good spell that a good talker is laying before me that is attractive? Because earthly abundance is attractive, and it's powerful, and, you know, it just really, really comes into play. Jonathan, I'm going to try that call again. Going to go to David in Washington. Good evening, David, and welcome to Christian Questions. Good evening, gentlemen. Hey, good to have you. Hey, I've been enjoying the show, and I, I didn't quite get everything in and out a little bit, but two words that came to my mind that I haven't heard yet tonight are filthy lucre. <laughs> okay. And, <laughs> yeah. So I hope it hasn't been brought up. If I missed it, uh, uh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. This but is good. There's a few scriptures few scriptures that talk about it, 1 Timothy 3, 3 and 3, 8, and it's also in Titus 1, 11, and 
lucre is gain. Okay, to exactly what it, uh, what it means, and and filthy is just what it says. So then you got to determine well, what is filthy? What is the filthy lucre? And uh, <clears throat> I love uh, Albert Barnes' uh, co- uh, commentary on this Bible commentary, and I just uh, quickly read you something from, if you don't mind, Go is ahead. that okay? Sure. Okay. He's talking about the same time of people we're talking about here, and he says, they make it their first object to acquire influence as ministers of religion and then abuse that in order to obtain money from the people. This they would doubtless do under many pretenses, such as that it was needed for the support of the gospel or for the relief of the poor or perhaps the assistance of distant Christians in persecution. Religion is the most powerful principle that ever governs the mind. Anyway, he goes on and on. But what I thought was interesting is he's writing that he died in 1870. <laughs> so this is not this is not something new. Uh, and I'll just leave you with Matthew uh, chapter six, verses two, five, and sixteen. And he's talking about. Uh, men who come and stand in the street corners and they pray and it says they have the the glory of men and it says on each one of them they have their reward so i I wouldn't want to be in that space myself but they seem to enjoy all that money but that's it that's what you got yeah yeah, David, thanks so much. Very, very, very good comments. Great scriptures. And uh, you're right. We don't want to be in that space. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And really a powerful, powerful tool there in terms of uh, looking at uh, how this all works together. And, and great scriptures, the idea of filthy lucre, you know, filthy gain. Gain that, that's just not good. And, and look, they have their reward, those on the street corners doing their thing, glorying it up in front of everybody. Look at me. Look at how powerful and spiritual and godly I am. No, look how, how self-fulfilled you are. Look how egotistical you are. We don't, we don't want to go there. And folks, again, if you are in a church that's showing you those kinds of things, you got to think twice. Why am I here? Am I here for baser gain or am I here for spiritual blessing? Those are the, those are the two things. So, Jonathan, let's get back to um, Dave, thanks so much for the, uh, the, the thoughts and the scriptures. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 8, remember, God is explaining to Israel all the difficulties involved in, 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 in being blessed. And he's saying, I'm going to bless you, but here's the things you have to watch out for. We're in Deuteronomy chapter 8. We're going to go to verses uh, 16 through 18 and just read right through those. In the wilderness, he fed you manna, which your father did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do for you in the end. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and my strength and my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, and that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. So we have Israel's history as well as Jesus and his life message. I mean, and and see, Israel's history was, look, remember, remember when you had nothing, how I, God, sustained you in the wilderness? Remember, I took care of your needs while you were wandering. And, you know, the interesting thing about that, Jonathan, is remember, and we were talking about this last week, uh, Israel came to the cusp of the land of Canaan. 
and they were there and they could take it and God would have delivered it to them, but they decided to not be faithful to that. That's right. They were scared of of the people in the lands. Right. They thought they were giants, too too big to take take over. And so what happened was Israel had to wander for 40 years. So God allowed them to wander for 40 years, but he took care of their needs while they wandered. He took care of them. And then 40 years later, they could enter the, the promised land and get that blessing. But he blessed them by caring for their needs. We've got that history behind us. God takes care of our needs, not our wants. Christian abundance lesson number six, Jonathan, is what? The attractiveness and power of earthly abundance may lull our enabled egos into a careless sleep filled with self-centered dreams. See, we have to be so careful with this stuff because the attractiveness and power of earthly abundance lulls our ego into this powerful, comfortable sleep of ease. And that is no restful place for a true Christian because our life is about the blessing and abundance of God from heaven. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Today's episode is, Is Christianity a Greedy Religion? Coming up, how does the story end? What is the lesson to be learned? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Today's episode is, Is Christianity a Greedy Religion? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866 866- 985 for all. And you can now message us on your smartphone app during the program and we'll try to share your comment on air. And, and Jonathan, you know, as we're, as we're talking about all of this and, and putting, trying to put it all in perspective about Christian abundance versus earthly abundance and the dramatic difference between the two, the two just never meet. Um, again, my wife dropped me a, a note here that says, you can't blame people for throwing Christianity away. For people who are looking in on this saying, Oh, yeah, and that's a religion? It's all about trying to get rich? I mean, she says between this and the hypocrisy and, you know, the idea of hellfire and all those, those doctrines that are false, I mean, Christianity has been pretty badly misrepresented. Oh, it has. You're and, absolutely and, right, and Rick. This is a big part of the, the misrepresentation, though, because what this is doing, it's taking the basis of Christianity— which is following in the footsteps of Jesus, following a life of self-sacrifice, and replacing that with following in the footsteps of somebody who's telling a good story, not the gospel, but a good spell, and to, to draw you in so you can pay them, so you can have the, quote, promise, unquote, of abundance, which for most people never, ever, ever comes. And Rick, that's the difference between selfishness and selflessness. Yes. And... The first lie in the Bible, um, the father of lies, Satan, was selfish yeah. and grabbed what he could take. And here we see Christianity doing the same thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, so when Jesus told the Pharisees, you know, you are following your father, the devil, 
we have the similar experience now because the devil, Satan, is greedy. And if we are focusing Christianity as a greedy thing, get yours now, you're not, it's, it's, just, it's just not Christianity. It just isn't. It just isn't. Luke 12, 20, Jonathan. So uh, the guy's saying, okay, I'm, I'm setting it up. I've thought it through. I'm going to sit back and eat, drink, and be merry because life is good. I've arrived, Rick. <laughs> yeah, well, let's see. Luke 12, 20. What happens next in the parable? But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now, who will own what you have prepared? Okay. So all of a sudden, all of me, my, and I ends. Oops. Yeah, very dramatically, very clearly, very easily, very quickly. Again, let's go through observations on the ending of that and draw the lessons for us to how, as to how we can focus on spiritual abundance. The reality of the foolishness of a misapplied earthly abundance focus is harsh. Reality is often harsh. It's often difficult. It's often hard to swallow. But it's reality. And the reality, if we misapply earthly abundance, the reality of that is very harsh. And, and I think you were, you were saying it, uh, or I don't know, maybe one of the callers was saying it, I'm confused now, uh, but about you know a lot of people who've got lots and lots of money, how dissatisfied with life they are. How many of them take their own lives? How many of them go through life depressed? And they have anything and everything they could possibly want. And you say, what happened? And the answer there's, is... There's no contentment right. in their lives. Right, because your life... Even when one has abundance, that isn't, your life doesn't consist of your possessions. So God was specific and clear. Again, back to Israel. He wanted to bless the earthly nation of Israel with earthly abundance, and rightfully so, because it was an earthly nation. But God said, he must come first in the lives of his chosen people Israel. Deuteronomy, back to Deuteronomy 8, now verses 19 and 20. It shall come about. If you ever forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you today that you will surely perish. So he was very clear on that. You start to go, go uh, after the gods of this world, it's not going to end well for you. For the well, isn't it the same with Christians, Rick? Absolutely, absolutely. Nothing in our lives should obstruct, obstruct our view of God. Ever. Now look, do you have to take care of your family? Yes. Should you enjoy taking care of your family? Yes. Should you truly love your, your husband or your wife and your children? Yes. Should you work hard at your job? Yes. But none of those things ought to ever obstruct our view of God. We can see God more clearly when we accomplish those things with a godly attitude. That's where the blessing comes from. Mark chapter 12, verses 29 to 31. Jesus answered, The foremost is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love God first, and then everyone and everything else. So, God is specific and clear. He must come first for Israel, and he must come first for spiritual Israel. 
because our blessings come from our spiritual zip code, our eternal zip code up in heaven. What's the next observation on this Luke 12, 20, when, this, when, when in the parable it says, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you, now who gets what you've prepared? Well, Rick, the irresponsibility that may develop from earthly abundance is embarrassing. So it is, because the irresponsibility that, that comes from it, you're, you're exposed as look, 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 look at how, how they let life fall away when they had every possible advantage. Think of the one who was part of the deliverance of Israel and then ignoring your deliverer. Think of having to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And Jonathan, remember what happened in that, during that 40 years. Every adult who had the opportunity to say, yes, let's go take the land, but didn't, they died in the wilderness. They never got to go into the land. It's costly. Wow. It's very costly. Uh, and again, we're, we're in um, Deuteronomy chapter 8. Uh, let's read verse 20. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so you shall perish because you would not listen to the voice of the Lord your God. And this, this, this is almost like the scary part of, of the whole lesson because it's like, well, okay, so if you're presenting yourself as being a Christian with this idea of physical abundance, first of all, you may be deceived. And if you're not the one who's being deceived, then you are mocking the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? So either way, it's not good. If you have been deceived, open your eyes, realize it, and step away. Step away from that which brings you away from God and step towards those things that bring you to God. We have also been miraculously delivered, just like Israel was from Egypt. The same lesson applies to us. We have to keep God first. And Jonathan, getting that new car or that new house or whatever it is, the boat or whatever it is, is that, that is not what staying close to God is about. It just isn't. Uh, let's go to Christian abundance lesson number seven. The attractiveness and power of earthly abundance can be utterly toxic to a Christian. How hardly shall a rich man enter the kingdom? Again, the attractiveness and power of earthly abundance. It can be toxic. When something is toxic, it's going to poison you. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take the life right out of you. And that's why Jesus said, how hardly shall a rich man enter the kingdom? He didn't say a rich man couldn't enter the kingdom, but he said he's got extra baggage, no pun intended, that he's dragging behind him, and he's got to learn to be separate from it in his heart. Thanks for listening to Christian Questions Live. Call us now at 866-985-4255 or ask your questions and leave your comments at ChristianQuestions.com. So, Jonathan, one, one of the things I think that's... Well, first of all, let's go back to the um, to another soundbite from this uh, another greedy megachurch twisting scripture. This was that church in Australia uh, that uh, we're, we're uh, looking in on. And just get the sense of the feel of what's happening there in terms of what Christianity is supposed to be. And ask yourself, is this a reflection of Jesus Christ? What sort of person is Brian Houston? He's a very slick creation of his own his own making. I think he 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 would have been successful in almost any business, but he found Christianity, and that's been his real bonanza. I think. 
Don't move back from being committed to turning it into pools of blessing. Here you have to give to receive. And the more you give, the more God will like you. It's about sowing so that we can reap, so that we can sow, that we can reap. Every Sunday there are 84 services like this held around Australia and the world. Each one raking in tens of thousands at a time. And, and you know, in, in the preaching, if you heard the preaching in the background there, it's about sowing so we can reap, so we can sow, so we can reap. And, and it sounds exciting, and it sounds logical. Well, yes, you have to sow so you can reap. But, Jonathan, it's not about the money. It's not, repeat after me, folks, it's not about the money. And, and we're not going to talk about this tonight in, in this particular podcast, but in the bonus material for CQ Rewind, the full edition, we have a whole section on tithing because that's what these folks use as the excuse for their, their, their gaining of wealth. And here's the point, and I'm not going to back it up. Tithing is not scriptural for a Christian. There is never, ever a, a Christian command for us to tithe, ever. It's never about money. And tithing was never about money, furthermore. Yeah, it was, it was crops and animals yes. that were needed. Right. Uh, money was never a part of it in the Old Testament, Rick. Amazing. You, if you want the proof of that, if you don't already subscribe to Seek Your Rewind, the full edition, please do so. It's a free service. You can do, throw, do so through your, your app. You can do so through the website. Uh, but in the bonus material for this coming week, there's a whole section showing you how the scriptures lay out tithing for Israel and not for Christianity. Period. It's a cut and dry argument there. So, Having said that, to understand how to handle earthly abundance, we first need blessing from on high. We need to have God's blessing and spirit touch us so we can really learn to handle these kinds of things. James 3, uh, 16 to 18. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And Rick, this reminded me of a scripture in Philippians um, chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. And Russell commentary said, let us then, as the apostle did, learn how to abound, not allowing the abundance of earthly good things to swerve us from our consecration vows, and learn also how to be in want or need, and yet not to want anything beyond what the Lord's wisdom and providence see best to give, to be content. So it really comes down to what you are after. What, what will bring you contentment in your life? That's, again, what is it that you think about most? That's what your God is. What will bring you contentment in your life? That's what your focus is. Because if you, can, if, if, if contentment, if you think contentment comes from stuff, then I'm sorry to say that you're going to live a discontented life because when you are thinking about stuff, the problem is there's never enough in your own possession just seen it happen too too many times so so what james is saying is look where jealousy and selfish ambition exist there's disorder 
There's hypocrisy, and and you've got to you've got to do things in a spiritual way, not in an earthly way. Got got a uh, a message from the uh, chat board. It says, "What about Matthew six nineteen? Don't store up treasures here on earth where they can erode away or may be stolen. Store them in heaven where they will never lose their value or are safe uh, from thieves. If your pro- if your prophets are in heaven, your heart will be there too." What profits can you possibly store in heaven? Not gold, not silver, <laughs> not diamonds, not money, not things. There's no room in heaven for that stuff. It's different. It's spiritual. Managing earthly abundance also requires us as Christians to, and Jonathan, this is really important, we are not supposed to make up new rules as we go. And you think, well, of course not. Well, look, that's what's happened. You know, Dave from Washington, when he called, he read a commentary that was written in the 1860s or 70s, whatever it was, that was describing what sounds just like today with the problem with the money. And he he said, you know, this is not a new problem. New rules have been made up because Christianity is a convenient vehicle to hijack. You know why? Because Jesus isn't right here directing it. He's not physically on the earth showing you what to do and what not to do. So it's a convenient vehicle to hijack so you can bring it wherever you want. And that's making up new rules. We look at 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 to 9 for this. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions. So advocating different doctrines and not agreeing with the sound words, those of our Lord Christ, those are the words of godliness. That's why we focused on that one little parable for this entire podcast, because the simple words of Christ Teach us all about Christian abundance and how different it is from earthly abundance. Go ahead. And constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Okay, just pause right there. Who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Hijacking the gospel of Jesus Christ and making it a good spell of someone who's got a good voice. Let's continue. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. And that explains Christian abundance. And just like you said earlier about Jesus, started with the robe, ended with the robe. Didn't accumulate anything in between. The simplicity of walking through life with the focus on God through Christ. And verses 8 and 9. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires will plunge men into ruin and destruction. So now it talks about those who want to get rich. So if you, again, if you are going to a church that's teaching you to be seeking after getting wealthy, getting more, then you got to read the scripture to yourself. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare. Jesus never told us to do that. 
That's not what the gospel's about. He didn't say, O my son, thou shalt go out and accumulate great wealth so you may serve me better. That was never part of the teachings of Jesus or the teachings of the apostles or any other writers of the New Testament. It just is not belonging. It's a foreign object that needs to be withdrawn, evicted, and tossed far, far away because Christianity is polluted when we allow that kind of thinking to be in, in, involved. So stay on target with doctrine. Look out for those who would, be, would abuse Christianity for their own gain and master the art of contentment. And, and Jonathan, you know, it's so important for us to focus on what the gospel tells us Not what might be convenient to try to hear the gospel saying, but what the gospel is actually telling us. If we can get our heads around the idea of focusing on the actual message of the gospel and what Christian abundance is, life can be really, really good. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Today's episode is, Is Christianity a Greedy Religion? Coming up. So, bottom line, how do we become rich toward God? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Today's episode is, Is Christianity a Greedy Religion? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL. Or you can message us on your app. Out from the dark ages, errors from the past, and into the light of today, the original good news. Join us 24-7 at ChristianQuestions.com. And Jonathan, as we were talking about that scripture that says, really, you can't take it with you, and the scripture really does say that. I don't know if you remember, uh, er earlier in the podcast, there was that one pastor at one point said, you know, I ain't going to be poor when I get to heaven. You know, it's like, you know, it's like, and what good is your money going to do you there? (laughs) No good. (laughs) So... It won't be there with you. No, if you go to heaven. And, and you know that's that really is the point. That and, and folks, that really, really, really is the point. Is if your life is about following after Jesus and walking in His footsteps, then it's okay to have money. It's okay to work hard. It's okay to accumulate. It's okay to take care of your family. It's okay to have those earthly mortgages, but it's not okay to have them be the dominant factor in your life. The dominating factor in life must be Jesus Christ and him crucified, must be the gospel. It must be, how do I walk in his footsteps through all of the other experiences that I have to do and take care of? And when you can figure out that equation, boy, life, you can find really, really wonderful contentment. So let's wrap up this parable, Luke 12 21, because the bottom line is, how do we become rich toward God? Luke 12, 21. So is the man who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God? Okay, so it's, it's looking at the, the man who lost everything, 
because he died that night and there was just nothing left. And, and Jesus says, so is the man who stores up treasures for himself. There's no, there are no riches toward God. Is this saying it's one or the other? No, no. Okay. Is it saying that we must be aware of the effect of our possessions and realize that they can easily derail our purpose in life? Absolutely. So that's the point. It's not one or the other. It's open your eyes and be aware and use what you have for the glory of God. Not the glory of yourself, but the glory of God. There are examples of those in Scripture who were well off and still acceptable before God. Now, now listen to the Scripture carefully because this includes that kind of a thing. James chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, You sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, You stand over there or sit down at my footstool. So this is interesting because we always look at it as, uh, you know, what are we paying attention to? But the fact is, you have a wealthy man and a poor man in the same assembly. Now, here's the thing. There is no difference between wealthy and poor in Christ because we're all one in Christ Jesus. But the point is, you can have those who have and you can have those who don't have and they can come together on the equal footing of Jesus Christ in the body of Christ. They play perhaps a different role, but they're both part of the same. It's and it's a beautiful thing. Well, and, because and, we're all unique, we're different, we all bring different things to the table for the Lord. We all bring different value to the Lord. And think about the kind of experiences that wealthy individual would have. Think about the kind of experiences that poor individual would have. And think about the rounding out of the experiences of all as a result of both of them being in your presence. Now, does it mean it's the wealthy man's responsibility to say to the guy who doesn't have a lot, hey, look, don't worry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay for everything for you from now on? No. We have to live our lives and do the things that we're supposed to do. Now, look, those who have, and I've seen this in Christianity in, in a really good way so many times, and Jonathan, I have, I have had an incredible privilege in my life many times where there have been those who have had a need and others who have seen the need. And I, this has happened to me many times where somebody comes up to me and says, and say, look, Rick, that brother or sister over there, they have a very specific need because of very specific circumstances. I want to help them, but I don't want them to know where the help came from. And I've had these individuals hand me literally thousands of dollars and say, would you bring it to them for me? Promise you won't tell them where it came from. Just tell them, Somebody cares for them, and somebody loves them and wants to help them out of this particular circumstance. And I've gotten to do that. And That's a beautiful thing, it, I bet. Oh. It, it, is, it is a wonderful thing. And see, that's part, that's exactly what we're saying. Where is your heart in relation to what you have? So, what are the godly riches that we ought to be striving towards? Um, let's go to one last soundbite, or no, there's actually two more. Uh, this this soundbite is this is interesting because this is somebody now in this in this church in uh, I think it's th this particular one is in Australia talking about a new way to tithe. Now you think about it, you're trying to put a new spin on an old thing. Okay, well let's just hear how it sounds. 
Don't give in the sense of like, well, what I did last year. How about let's have a new way, new way of giving. For instance, it's Sunday morning, and we're undercover at this Hillsong service. Within minutes, the talk turns to money. Tithe this year, and if you do tithe, how about do it online? It's a new way. It's different. You know. We're told to give more than we've ever given before in the form of a tithe. So how about this year? Do a new way. Give in a new way. Give joyfully. Give online. Give cheerfully. <laughs> and you find, I tell you what, God will bless you. It's a new year. It's a new year. And let's expect that. All right? So they're talking about a new way to tithe. And basically, Jonathan, translation, it's a new way. You can now tithe online. You can give us your money online. That's, I'm sorry, that's my, that's my personal reaction to that. That's what it feels like to me. Now, maybe I'm wrong on that. I apologize if I am, but that's how it feels to me. Give us your money in a new way. Do it online with the click of a button. Because now you can expect blessings because you were tithing online, because it's a new way. Come on. What is this? It's twisting <laughs> Christianity. Spiritual abundance, Christian abundance, comes in a different way. Generous giving is part of Christian abundance. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 15. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has proposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. See, now, those folks in those environments can say, see, God loves a cheerful giver. Give. But the point is, a cheerful giver was in relation to supporting, directly supporting the poor. Do you realize when the Apostle Paul took collections for those who were disadvantaged or whose, whose lands were in famine and all of that, he never took a nickel for himself. He was a tent maker, Rick. He supported himself That's wherever right. he went. And the money that he carried from one Christian group to another was not for his personal consumption. It was for the good of those who needed it. That is cheerful giving. See, that's Christian abundance. That's cheerful giving. Christian abundance comes from cheerful giving. Finishing up those verses, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, going to verses um, 8 through 11, this is now going to be focused on acceptance. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed, as it is written. He scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increasing the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. So again, you could look at those verses and you could say, aha, Look at what God wants to give you, and you can focus it on earthly stuff. There's a fundamental problem with that, Jonathan. And the, there. the fundamental problem is that our gifts are spiritually based, period. Now, can God bless us with things in life? Yes, he can. Is that the object of God dealing with our lives? No, it's 
not. The object is accepting the blessing of God so we can be more Christ-like. And when you're more Christ-like, you're less focused on stuff. Jesus didn't have any focus on stuff. When you look at the apostles, none of them had focus on stuff, except for Judas, and you see where that got him. Okay, so this is a really clear, focused example of accepting the, the goodness and, uh, and overruling of God on our behalf so that we can be really doing what is important in our Christian lives. That's what Christian abundance is. So first of all, for generous giving, our abundance is in what we give, not what we get. For acceptance, the Christian abundance is out of the giving attitude comes the acceptance of God's supplies so that we can continue giving. And again, Jonathan, I have seen that happen with individuals in so many ways, in so many places, um, for, for so many years. You know, and just, just, a, just a quick sidelight in terms of, uh, of, of us here, because I think it's important to kind of disclose a few things. You know, Christian Questions does not have a payroll. There is nobody on the payroll of Christian Questions. Are you on the payroll? I am not. Neither am I. Neither are our bookkeepers. Or I don't our... think anyone thought about it, actually. <laughs> no. Ever before. Because what this is, our payment, quote-unquote, comes from our eternal zip code. It's the blessing of having an opportunity to be part of spreading the gospel. It's not about money. How are we compensated for our time? With God's blessing. By learning by being able to study things so that we can, we, can, we can have the opportunity to spread those things to others. And Jonathan, that's better than money any day of any week, any time, under any circumstance. And it's a privilege. We really feel it's a privilege to bring praise, honor, and glory to our Heavenly Father. It is. That's our desire. And, and so, again, by way of full disclosure, understand that when we are so passionate about this not being about dollars and cents. Now, Christian questions. There are, there are those who, who contribute to what we do. Not a nickel of anything contributed ever goes to any individual. No, it doesn't. Always goes. 100% goes to the, to the uh, putting out, to the putting forth of the gospel. Because we, are, we believe in every single individual who volunteers their time with us. We all think the same way. And like you said, it's a privilege. Are you kidding? Man, there's no better way to be able to invest your personal time than in the service of, of God through Christ. So that brings us to the next point of Christian abundance, and that is service. Again, we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now we're verses 12 to 15. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints— but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your liberality of your contribution to them and to all, while they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you, for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So this scripture is really all about working. The ministry of this service 
is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but over the overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. There is a compounding effect of blessing when we spend our time in service and in giving. Contribution and thanksgiving. Our abundance is reflected in the glory that goes to God, not to us. That is, folks, that's the gospel. That's what Jesus taught us. That's what the apostles taught us. Therefore, that's what we should do. One last soundbite, Jonathan, and this is, uh, we were talking about in the last soundbite uh, just a few minutes ago, a new way to tithe, and this is explaining tithing. What's the idea behind tithing and and where does it come from? 10% of your pre-tax income, whatever that is. It's this idea that if you don't give, you're robbing God. And you don't want to rob God, do you? What about people who can't afford to give? The unemployed, uh, people on disability pensions, single parents. Are they let off the hook? No. Everybody has to tithe. Uh, They will tell you that it goes back to Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden. And that's why Cain killed Abel, because he didn't tithe. The lights dim and the buckets go around. People handing over cash and credit card details. How much do you give the church? as much as I can. I give 10% as a base and then I give more. I've seen much, much more blessing than I could ever have if I didn't give that 10% of my income to God. So again, Jonathan, CQ Rewind, the full edition uh, in the bonus material, goes into tithing in great detail to lay out the scriptures so we understand them fully. But it's it's a travesty what we see here. It's a guilt trip. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. How exactly. sad. Yeah. Yeah. And our final, our final point, we're down to a couple minutes here, just two minutes, is contentment. And that's another source of great Christian abundance. Luke 12, 27 to 32. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace... How much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? So that gives us a sense that God has got his eye on you and he's going to care for you. Does it mean he's going to give you everything you want? No. Does it mean he's going to give you everything you need? Yes. Is everything you need what you think you need? Probably not. So there may be a lot of surprises in there. But follow God all the way through and see what the lessons are. And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink. And do not worry for all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your Father knows that you need these things. So don't go after what everybody else goes after. These are the words of Jesus, again, telling us spiritual abundance is different than earthly abundance. But what should we seek? His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. And the kingdom is from a different zip code. It's a spiritual zip code. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, not some good spell of a good talker. It's different. This brings us to our final abundance lesson, lesson number eight. Jonathan, what is it? The attractiveness and power of spiritual abundance is immeasurably deeper, stronger, and longer lasting than any other abundance. Get that in your head and hold on to it. Spiritual abundance is stronger, far stronger, far longer lasting, far more powerful, and far more eternal than any earthly abundance could ever be. Be a Christian, 
Be a footstep follower of Jesus. Put aside the earthly things. Focus on the spiritual. Work through your physical earthly responsibilities to bring glory to God, not yourself. Use what you have to help others. Use what you have to glorify God and let God bless you spiritually as a result. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we'll be back again next week with another topic. But until then, Christian abundance, difference, higher, stronger, and better. Think about it. Folks, remember, we love hearing from you, our listeners, let you know what you thought about today's topic. Start a conversation with us at ChristianQuestions.com and make sure to download our app. Search Christian Questions in your app store.